You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Welcome to Halford and Bruff Studio Fright. Happy Halloween. Morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy Halloween, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes of Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, laddie, good morning to you as well. Good morning. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God. Off to a good start. Couple creeps. Uh, Alfred and Bruff Excellent. the morning. and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today we are in hour one of the. We, we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by EverythingFinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at EverythingFinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is a Tuesday. It is a Canucks game day. It is also Andy's favorite quote-unquote holiday <laughs> on the schedule. No quote-unquote. It is. a holiday. Happy nope. Halloween, everybody. Holiday. Halford and Bruff in the morning. We've got you all covered throughout Halloween. And then, of course, the Canucks game tonight. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. I'm working in reverse here all the way from tonight. Uh, we're giving away kiss tickets today. That's another thing we're doing on the show today. Uh, 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor is going to join us, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. 7.30, it's going to be Eric Francis. I think we're going to start doing weekly Calgary check-ins now. I love Schadenfreude. It's my favorite. We're going to talk to Eric about the struggles in Calgary for the Flames at 7.30. And then at 6.30, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN will go around the NHL. Lots of stories coming out of last night. Uh, we'll get to Greg uh, with all that at 6.30. A reminder, Canucks game at 7. We're giving away KISS tickets again. Dunbar Lumber text line is 6.50. KISS is here Wednesday, November 8th at Rogers Arena. We're giving away a pair of tickets every day this week. Very befitting mm-hmm. for Halloween because, you know, they dress up. Essentially for a living. They wear costumes. Yes, yeah. yes. So we'll be giving away kiss tickets to the best what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. And today we can add a ticket emoji into the tech, into your text. Uh, you will be entered into our grand prize contest to win a pair of tickets to see KISS Wednesday, November 8th at Rogers Arena. It's a big show. We got a lot to get into. Guest list is done. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.com. CA. We will begin with the aforementioned Vancouver Canucks who practiced yesterday in advance of tonight's spectacular matchup 
against the National Predators. No significant changes except for one. Looks as though Dakota Joshua might come out of the lineup as a healthy scratch. Jack Studnika in potentially tonight against the Preds. Yeah, I think this has to do with a, a few things. The Canucks need more offense out of their third line, uh, which Dakota Joshua had spent some time on. Uh, yesterday at practice, it was comprised of Beauvillier, Suter, and Garland. Uh, Suter has no points and is minus two. The only other minus player on the Canucks is Noah Juleson, who isn't in the lineup anymore. Uh, Beauvillier, meanwhile, only has one assist in eight games. Garland, remember he scored the first goal of the season, hasn't done much since, has one assist. Not great if you're the Canucks trying to win games, and also not great if you're the Canucks and you're trying to move cap space. Uh, Beauvillier, Garland, and Suter have a combined cap hit of around $10 million, so it's not asking too much for a little more production. Tockett said yesterday that he wanted to get Beauvillier up on that line with Garland because he thought those two guys were playing better. So maybe it's only a matter of time before those guys break out. Um, I don't think anyone has had like major issues with the play of Pew Suter. Um, he's not getting a lot of attention because there are so many good things happening for the Vancouver Canucks right now. They're mm-hmm. off to a great start. A lot of it has been because the top two lines are scoring. They've got a great first pairing in Hronik and Hughes, and the goalies are playing well. So some of these other guys that are, they're not, again, they're not playing horribly. There's just more to give there, and I think if the Canucks were struggling, if they had a losing record, there'd be a lot more attention on this. Uh, talk it said of Dakota Joshua, well, it's no different than early in the season. He's got to get going a little bit. There's certain parts of his game I do like. He's just got to get going. He knows it. It's just a couple of things. Um, and he even said, talk it said that Joshua went up to him and said, I'm not happy with my game either. Uh, now, the interesting thing here, and you've mentioned this in the past, is that It's such a refreshing change that when the Canucks are good and playing well and winning games and, you know, like second in the Pacific Division and a top 10 team in the NHL standings, you do start to focus on things like this. Like you always hearken back to 2011. It's like, what about the third line? Is the production going to be good enough? Like Mm -hmm. this is a nice spot to be in for the team. They want more production out of the bottom six, absolutely. But at the same time, if those are the biggest issues on your team, you've got to be reasonably happy. Now, I will say, and I'll agree with you, They've got to get more out of that group, especially the third line. Like the bagels across the board yeah. become more and more glaring. Because I think what's going to happen as this season rolls along is the more success the team has, you're going to be able to focus on the top line guys because, quite frankly, if the production underneath them isn't happening, then you could spend less attention on those guys, right? right? I mean, yeah, this yeah. is going to be, well, look at this team right now. How are they constructed? Well, they're hyper-loaded in their top six forward group. And on the blue line, it's incredibly loaded in that top pairing. You do want to see more out of these guys. We'll see if they get it tonight against Nashville. Now, I don't know how much attention you paid to the National Hockey League last night, but it was a very entertaining evening on a sports equinox night. There were a lot of really, really, really dramatic results, both late and in overtime. So if you'll allow me, I think we're going to do an old, a good old-fashioned whip around oh, for the NHL. old-fashioned whip around. You I love your whip around. I do love a whip around. There were four overtime games and one in Pittsburgh between the Ducks and the Penguins that was essentially an overtime winner. But I want to start with Seattle. The Seattle Kraken, 
who got off to a very bad start this season, got a very important win last night over the Tampa Bay Lightning. What's more, they beat the Lightning for the first time in franchise history, Jason. Never beat the Lightning before. Well, they nearly blew it, too, because they had a 3-1 lead coming out of the first period, and the Lightning uh, chipped away at it, and uh, Brandon Hagel eventually tied it with about five minutes left in the game, mm-hmm. which brought them to overtime. And then our good old friend Jared McCann scored the winner for the Kraken. Here's what it sounded like. 2.53 into overtime, Seattle beats Tampa Bay for the first time ever. Here's McCann. Jared McCann will move out. Resituate with Bjorkstrand. Done. McCann scores! Hey, hey! What do you say? Jared McCann and the Kraken get it done once again in overtime. Now, speaking of dated Canucks and dated Canucks jokes, who here likes a good Game 8 joke, huh? Everyone loves game age. I made one last night on Twitter. Yeah, I know. And it's in the notes as well. But Boston had a chance to play another game eight, albeit of a completely different variety last night. That's because the Boston Bruins took on the team that rather infamously eliminated them from the first round of the playoffs last year, the Florida Panthers. And I was listening to Jim Montgomery talk pregame yesterday, and he acknowledged, yeah, this one means more. And then Charlie McAvoy went out there and said it means so much that I'm going to knock Oliver ekman Larson right out of this game. Five-minute major for charging or targeting the head. I can't remember exactly. It was a match penalty. Yeah, and Oliver ekman Larson left, did not return. He had already played over 20 minutes mm-hmm. at that point. Like, ekman Larson is a key part of that Florida defense. Despite all of this... Florida had a 2-0 lead, too. They took it a 2-0 lead out of the first. So many dramatic moments last night involving comebacks, and this was another one. It was Pavel Zaka at 3.36 of overtime. The Bruins, and this is another crazy stat... Have points in nine straight. That's the longest point streak in franchise history. And this is their 100th year of existence. Uh, Zaka, 3.36 of overtime. Bruins win 3-2 in overtime against the Panthers. Mustorinen, a back foot snapshot. A generous bounce. Pavel Zaka. Now, of all the results that happened last night, I think there was four games decided in overtime, one decided in the shootout, and then one decided essentially in overtime, but it was the end of regulation. Maybe the craziest of them all. The Anaheim Ducks defeating the Pittsburgh Penguins in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to set the stage for you here. There's a minute left in the game. Pittsburgh gets a five-on-three power five-on-three power play. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Five-on-three power play late in regulation. They're zipping the puck around, and they've got Malkin at one point and Eric Carlson at the other. And this is the new-look Penguins. They're, they're ready to put this game to bed. It's tied. And then Mason McTavish jumps out of the box to make it a five-on-four mm-hmm. for the Penguins. The only problem for the Penguins is that Mason McTavish jumped out of the box after Eric Carlson decided to make a horrible pass <laughs> on the power play. Puck goes the other way. It was telegraphed so it was not great. badly. It was not great. Uh, 13 seconds left. Mason McTavish in all alone to score a shorthanded winner. Here's what it sounded like as the Penguins beat, or sorry, the Ducks beat the Penguins 4-3. Sidney Crosby gets it back. Raquel for Malkin between the circles. Hit the post and stayed out. Here's Malkin again. First penalty over. Out of the box. McTavish tipped to him. Shorthanded. Score! Mason McTavish! 
Ducks, a shorthanded goal with 12 seconds left, and the Ducks lead 4-3. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So it was unbelievable. There were a couple of other noteworthy scorers last night. The Rangers won again, 3-2 in overtime in Winnipeg. Arizona. Arizona beat the Chicago Blackhawks 8-1. to uh, the Red Wings won. They improved to 6-3-1 and one with a 4-3 overtime win over the New York Islanders. But I want to talk about the Penguins mm-hmm. because the Penguins are now 3-6-0. and oh. Early returns on this are not good. They do not look right. So here's my question. What do the Penguins do if this season falls flat? Remember, they missed the playoffs last year. And then... They were kind of at a crossroads. They were like, all right, what are we going to do here? Well, we're going to go for it. We're already in. We've already committed to some old guys. Let's just keep going. We're not going to tear it down while Sid's on the team. So they went out and get Eric, they went out and got Eric Carlson. Now, again, it's only nine games. This team can has obviously has the talent to come back and still make the playoffs. But I guess my question is, what happens if... They don't. Like, what are they going to do? Are they already so committed that they just have to keep doing what they're doing? Or should they be a team almost like the Calgary Flames? Like, everyone's looking at Calgary going right now and going like, oh, who might they trade? They might be the clearinghouse for the trade deadline. Like the, the, The Calgary Flames, and we'll talk to Eric Francis about this, if things don't improve and it doesn't look like they are, there are going to be so many players on that team that, that teams out there are like, oh, we could use that guy. Yep. We could use that guy. Well, I think Pittsburgh has a fair number of those guys as well. The only issue is that a lot of these guys in Pittsburgh are anchored to really poor contracts. Well, I'm looking at Jake Gensel, who's got one year left, then he's UFA. So he's a pending UFA. That guy's still a really good player. So if you're in this Penguin situation and you're going, okay, what do we do with Jake Gensel? He's one of our best players. So if we lose him, it's going to hurt. But do we really want to keep throwing money chasing this core? Sid is 36. Gino is 37. Mm-hmm. Eric, well, How old's Eric Carlson? Eric Carlson is 33. You got guys like Chris Letang who are 36. Now, a lot of these guys have Jeff, contracts. Jeff Carter, the oldest guy on the Jeff, team at 38. Jeff Carter's 57. Yeah, he's old. Um, you know, And they made this commitment to Tristan Jari. And that's not looking good early on. Uh, I just wonder what, like, Kyle Dubas, he's the new guy there. I just wonder what they could possibly do because sometimes it's good to keep a core together, but then sometimes you've overcommitted to a core and even the players on the core know <laughs> this isn't working. And I don't know if you know this, but the Penguins have traded away a lot of draft capital in the last little while. I don't know if they have a prospect. Would Sidney Crosby ever demand a trade out of the Pittsburgh I, organization? That would be amazing if he did. <laughs> I, I don't like listen I know it was great that the Sedins played their whole careers with with the Canucks I mean if that's something that a player is proud of fine then that player can do that like I get it I understand it but if you're telling me as a hockey fan you have an option of watching and this goes for Ovi too you have an option of watching Sid just kind of play out his years with Pittsburgh with no chance of playing in any big games, then I'm going to say, no, I want to see him in the playoffs. I want to see him for another team. I want to see him playing in, in big moments. And I don't see a, 
I don't think that negatively alters anyone's legacy. In fact, I think it can help. It can positively uh, affect someone's legacy. Does anyone else want to see like o- Ovechkin on bad Washington Capitals teams, just trying I've, to like, okay. just trying to score goals until he can and, until he can get to Gretzky's mark, and then just be like, oh, thank God, can I retire now? Um, I don't I, want to watch that. I well, I think that's exactly what we're going to see with Ovechkin. I think they're so committed to the bit that I don't think. Anything other than what you just laid out is going to happen. Greg Wyshynski, who we're going to have on the show uh, in a bit, uh, I believe when he was on with Jeff Merrick was talking about them, that that's essentially going to be the Washington Capitals' identity for the next couple of years. It's not necessarily a team looking for playoff and Stanley Cup success, but a team that is solely focused on getting Ovechkin the record. Now, the only reason I bring that up is because with Pittsburgh, I assume that they are going to be pot committed to doing whatever they can to get that team, and not even necessarily back in Stanley Cup contention, but just into playoff contention, as long as Sidney Crosby can play hockey. I would be... Yeah, but what what are you going to do? What like what, what are you going to do? You've got all this money committed to these older guys, and you've got no capital to... Like, if you, you can trade Jake Gensel for a piece that you need, but then you've, uh, you know, lost Jake Gensel. Like, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Keep chasing it. Keep finding deals. Keep finding these, and I would say smaller additions. I personally, I'm Is Carlson going to be a bust for them. I'm very worried about um, Eric Carlson having to, and he's not rediscover anything, but he's going to have to figure out how to play in a Mike Sullivan system. Like that's been the big story out of Pittsburgh yeah. so far. We talked to again. Wyshynski was on a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about the article that he wrote about the Penguins, where Mike Sullivan was had some rather candid and colorful comments about what. Uh, Eric Carlson needs to do to fit their system into work in Pittsburgh. He was mad at himself for that pass, and and he, and he should be right. Like that, mm-hmm. that's an easy pass. You can't be <laughs> can't be blowing easy passes on a five on three, mm-hmm. and it was a five on three essentially because Mason McTavish hadn't come back into the play yet. He was like, "I got a breakaway. I'm I'm out of here." Mm-hmm. What a way to lose, though. The Penguins have had some really really bad losses, uh, obviously this season, but also. At the end of last season, the ones that essentially said, like, you're not going to the playoffs, those were bad losses. Mm -hmm. Like, there is not a good vibe going. There's people in Pittsburgh saying that, you know, maybe it's time to look to a new coach. I don't know about that, but maybe? Like, is that that what they're going to be reduced to? Just kind of maybe there's a new coach out there that (laughs) that can help us, or maybe we can do this. I mean, they're so all in. On this core, and I get why. I mean, it's a core that's won Stanley Cups, won multiple Stanley Cups. But in some ways, I really do wonder if we'll look back and just be like, "Yeah, they should have kept Sid, but re-signing Gino, re-signing Latang, that was all a mistake." Um, I, you know what? I'm going to forego playing the winner from the New York Islanders uh, Detroit Red Wings game last night. I had it in the folder because Bo Horvat actually tried to clear the zone on the OT winner, but failed to do so. <laughs> and uh, cousin of former Vancouver Canuck Mason Raymond, Lucas Raymond scored the game winner for the Detroit Red Wings. 4-3 win over the Islanders. Horvat did have a goal and an assist in that game. But I did want to play the winner from the New York Rangers, they just swept a five-game road swing. You'll remember one of those games was in overtime against Vancouver on Saturday. Artemi Panarin is off to an unbelievable start. Mika Zibanejad scored in overtime. Here's what it sounded like 
in Blake Wheeler's return to Winnipeg last night as the Rangers beat the Jets to go a perfect 5-0-0 on their Western Road Swing. Does he have another game winner in that stick? Panarin. We didn't really talk a ton about them because I was busy yelling at clouds about the refereeing yesterday, but the Rangers look like a very, very, very good and talented and deep squad. Yeah. Not, I mean, we talked about Shisterk well, a little are. bit yesterday. They've, but they've got key, key players in all the positions, right? They And if they can get if they can get more production out of Lafreniere and Kako, then they're going to be feeling good. And if Panarin, Panarin's a key, right? Mm-hmm. Panarin needs to show up this season. And then here's the key. Also show up in the playoffs. Yes. Panarin has 15 points over uh, the last seven games. So that ties him for one of the longest streaks to start a season. I think he's one of the most motivated players in the NHL. Well, yeah. The way the the playoffs went for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He just was like, I got to change it up. I have Mm. to shave my head. Um, I do want to (laughs) mention Arizona beating Chicago. 8-1 8-1 at Mullet Arena. The biggest story for me, the biggest takeaway for me, you know who scored a hat trick for the Arizona Coyotes last night? Former Vancouver Canucks farmhand Michael Carcone scores a hat trick. I had no idea he was in the NHL. I had no idea he was a functioning member of the Arizona Coyotes. He scores a hat trick. Did you 8-1. see Clay- Clayton Keller's stat line in that game? I did not. No points and a minus one. Really? How <laughs> do you go minus one when you win a one? <laughs> you did it. Borderline impossible. Um, we are now... Hitting the stage, unfortunately, of the Connor Bedard Chicago Blackhawks story, the narrative arc where the reality sets in and you realize just how putrid that team that they compiled is. Mm-hmm. I watched that game last night against my better judgment. It was on late, so I got to catch half of the second period and most of the third. They don't have any talent on that team outside of Connor Bedard. Like they are really not good. I was a bit worried about this. Going into the season, remember we talked about it a few times that you can be bad mm-hmm. and you can, you know, surround your star player with a bunch of also rans, but without Taylor Hall in that lineup, they look inept at times. And I, I, you know, as the season goes along, it's going to get harder and harder for the kid. I just hope that this team doesn't get to the depths of like we're horrifically bad. Just uh, I was talking few minor talk, bad talking to a few guys too, um, whose opinion I guarantee I'm not going to name them, but I guarantee them you'll respect their opinion more than mine. Sure, um, they played in the NHL. I can't name drop them, but they're I very famous. But, well, yeah, I okay. respect them more than Bruff. Well, I, I don't. I, I, everybody. I don't want to say their names because um, they were watching Bedard and they've been watching Bedard, and they said that uh, there's still a lot of junior in his game. You know, um, he is, he's got a, he's going to have to tighten up on his NHL details. And it wasn't like we were sitting there, you know, ripping him or anything, right? Like Connor Bedard is clearly <laughs> capable of learning things. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like anyone who's criticizing his game right now. I mean, you'd be an idiot to be like if, to assume like, well, he's going to do that for the rest of his career, right? Mm-hmm. Like these players do learn; they realize that there are things that they can't get away with in junior, uh, and things that you need to change in the NHL. And listen, Bedard hasn't been bad; he's got six points in nine games, probably their best player, four goals and two assists. But 
The NHL is so much more detailed. And here's another thing. The goalies are a lot better. Yeah. And this is the one thing I wondered about Bedard. Like, he shoots from anywhere in junior, and his shot is... It's not the only part of his game, but it's the main part of his game. It's the one thing that everyone talks about, right? Yep. A lot of it is a lot of his narrative, a lot of his story is about how much he practices his shot. You know, he doesn't even have to have skates on. He's off ice practicing in his backyard or wherever he's practicing his shot. Goalies, <laughs> I mean, this is just this is basically goalies are better in the NHL than they are in the dub, mm-hmm. right? So maybe. He's going to have to adjust to where he's shooting from, how much he's shooting from. And you don't want to immediately go in there and be like, hey, Connor, stop shooting these long ones because you want him to figure that out for himself. Mm-hmm. You don't want to You don't want to take anything away from him because there might be some things that he do, was doing in junior that are absolutely transferable to the NHL. All I'm saying is that I think it's – you know, after nine games and with what you're saying about the quality of the Hawks, Real bad. bad. Real bad. It's that this might be a tougher adjustment than some had anticipated. We will get to the rest of the stories in the Sprots. It was the Sports Equinox last night. We'll talk about the World Series. We'll talk about Monday Night Football. We'll talk about the Seahawks making a trade of significance as well. That's all coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Coming up next, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us here on the show. And a reminder, if you would like to win tickets to see KISS, yes, KISS, on Wednesday, November 8th at Rogers Arena, Send it what we learned in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket emoji into your text to be entered into the grand prize contest for a pair of tickets to see KISS. Greg Wyshynski coming up next on the Halford & Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy Halloween, everybody. Andy, especially you. Thank you. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. Let's go to the phone lines. That music can only mean one thing. It's time now for Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Wish? Happy Halloween. Oh, happy Halloween. Oh, you guys have Halloween in Canada? That's exciting. Yeah, um, it's actually in November, though. So <laughs> Happy American <yeah>. Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's always weird when I'm you know, flying out of Canada in November and I just see all these people in costume. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. No, it's, it's a fun time. I, I, I am uh, very lazy this year. I'm going to have to do a fallback position uh, costume because I didn't really get any get it adventurous, which luckily for me, uh, I have a full uh, lobster costume, wow, nice. including a giant uh, lobster head, uh, like almost like a like a team mascot type costume uh, that I have in my basement. So I'm going to throw that on later for for handing out the candies to the kitties. 
I have absolutely no segue into the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> Out of the lobster. Uh, Out of the lobster. They're, 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 Consider the lobster, is, also the Penguins. Their season, their season is slowly uh, being boiled, and you can hear the faint screams of the Penguins as they're in the pot. That's why he's a pro, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go right there right now. We played the audio in the first segment. Uh, a crazy loss to Anaheim last night. You don't see a lot of uh, shorthanded game winners with 12 seconds remaining, but that's what Mason McTavish did. Um, you know, Jason, I kicked this around a lot in the intro segment. It's early days for sure, and there's still time for this group to come together and to Eric Carlson and quote-unquote figure it out, but how much concern should there be in Pittsburgh right now? A lot, because, I mean, you know, it's it's a situation where if you can't figure it out or if certain players can't figure it out, the supporting cast should be able to bail you out against teams like Anaheim, which, you know, again, is a team that's off to a pretty surprisingly decent start, and McTavish is like a point-per-game player, but at the same time, that's not a team that the Penguins should be losing to in that situation, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great right now at all. You know, from from a, almost every perspective that you could take on the Penguins right now, it's not been great. But the thing is that's interesting to me is that, like, you know, offensively, if you if you look under the hood, um, pretty good. You know, and expected goals per sixty. That last time I checked was second in the league at five on five. So they're doing some good things offensively at the very least. It's just that the rest of it has to kind of find its way. Yeah, uh, right now, if 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 I had to pick, you know, between Pittsburgh and Calgary, I'd say Calgary's in way more trouble than Pittsburgh. Watching the Calgary Flames the last few games, they've just got they got nothing. They got nothing offensively. And I was thinking about it the other day. They fired Daryl Sutter, and then they bring in Ryan Huska. And the whole idea is to have fun and to allow the players to be creative. What if you don't have any players that are particularly creative? Well, not only that, but you fire Daryl Sutter, and then you dress like farmers at the Heritage Classic. I thought <laughs> that was really, yesterday. Yeah, I thought that that was was. really insulting. Yeah. I was very, very insulted on behalf yeah. of Daryl Sutter for that. You send him to the farm, <laughs> and then you dress like farmers. Um, look, man, we, it, it, watching the Heritage Classic finally kind of crystallized what I've been saying about the Flames now for two years. You, you, I've been on the show many times talking about how they are a supporting cast in search of a star, and the problem is the only way you're getting a star is probably by tanking. <laughs> so it kind of crystallized it for the first time for me that what they should have done is, is actually say goodbye to some of the people that we thought they were going to say goodbye to rather than, you know, you know, having Hannafin still on the roster and players like that, because the, the path back for this team is finding their next Kachuk is finding their next Goudreau, you know, and, you're not going to be able to do that unless you tank them. I mean, that's just the reality of the surroundings in the NHL right now. So the fact that they're bad is good. I hope that they don't try to get good because they shouldn't, because the only way that this franchise is going to circle back to contention is by drafting the types of players that they had to say goodbye to. And again, you know, it shouldn't shock anybody that this team is inept offensively. What did they, what did they say goodbye to in the last two years? A hundred goals yeah. between Toffoli, Gaudreau, and Kachuk. Mm-hmm. Like, who who's making that up in that lineup? I mean, it's it's not going to be Kadri. So, like, you know, I I don't know what people are expecting from the Flames. I, I mean, I understand that, like, like you said, Jason, like the idea that you know you rip the band, you rip the the, the cancer out of, of the Daryl Sutter coaching uh, situation, and then you hope that they they find their game again, but. 
it's just not that simple when you've you've bid adieu to so much talent in the last two years. And also, uh, they could get that retool or rebuild going pretty good with some of the pending UFAs they've got. They got Leas Lindholm, uh, Noah Hannafin for now, and I imagine. I mean, Freed was talking about it. Uh, on his show or on the podcast the other day where he's like, yeah, I think Noah Hannafin contract talks are stalled a little bit right now. Chris Tanev could get them something. Nikita, Nikita Zadorov could get them something. But I guess the question for teams like Calgary, they're kind of like Winnipeg, and there seems to be this feeling that if you can get good players to sign with you and to stay with you, that is the option to take. Do you think they'll end up doing that? Well, I mean, look, part of me thinks this is like Vegas derangement system syndrome, where like you think that you can you can build a team through trades and free agency, and not have to have your team be uh, built on a foundation of of the draft necessarily, and then you know you win a cup with Aiden Hill. Like, there's probably that thinking around the league in some cases, and and. In Calgary's case, maybe there is the idea that if you just keep the band together uh, and augment it with other players through trades or through free agency, then you might be able to pull this thing out. Uh, the real problem is this. like, <laughs> History will probably look back on the departures of Goudreau and Kachuk and say, and, and say that despite the fact they got Huberto back in the Kachuk deal, and, and Uyghur, we should say, because he was pretty good the other night, um, that this team should have started to kind of think about what the next steps were going to be mm-hmm. because that was the signal that maybe something wasn't right there and that other people would probably want to leave at some point too. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of turn the page. And the, so the problem is that they had a GM in Tree Living who plugged the holes as best he could and it didn't work. And then you have a new GM in Craig Conroy who was obviously tasked with, well, we think this team is still good, figure it out. And, and you know, maybe the team's just not that good. Uh, you mentioned him already, but Tyler Toffoli. As a New Jersey Devils fan, Greg, how much are you enjoying the Toffoli experience? It's been good. You know, the, the, the real interesting aspect of, of his performance has been on the power play because, you know, the Devils' power play was pretty good last year. It wasn't, like, dominant. It was pretty good, and it was credited in, in large margin to um, to Andrew Burnett having been there as an associate coach. They went from you know, towards the bottom of the league and power play proficiency towards the top. And, you know, Burnett being there was a big thing. The maturation of, of, of Jack Hughes was a big thing. But then Burnett leaves for the Predators, and everyone's like, all right, what's his power play going to look like? So they bring in your old friend Travis Green as, as an assistant coach. Yeah. And then, and then they bring on Toffoli. And, and, oh, also, Luke Hughes is there for the full season. And now you're seeing them scoring at, like, an Oilers clip on the power play. So... <laughs> Toffoli has been a huge part of that. And again, the, the reason that acquisition had me excited as a Devils fan was the idea that like, when you're in that, <laughs> when you're in the trenches against Carolina and the playoffs and it's a, you know, a one, one game in the third and you you need somebody to figure out how to put the puck in the net. Like that's the type of player that they were lacking last year. And Toffoli, you know, has made a career out of that. So I, I, that's, that's the reason I thought that he was a good ad, but, his power play proficiency is is just off the charts right 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 now. So Jack Hughes leads the NHL in scoring. Quinn Hughes is a point of game player, leads all defensemen in plus minus, and then Luke Hughes. Whoa, he's second in rookie scoring. Uh, are the Hughes brothers going to win all the awards this year? <laughs> I mean, 
if Luke Hughes leads the league in scoring for rookies, <laughs> like you've got it, you've got a shot. Yeah. It's going to take something pretty spectacular for him to break through the Cooley Bedard, you know, kind of uh, forward group that we see that's going to be putting up points and, and playing really well. Um, we're going to do our first awards watch next week. So I'm very intrigued to see where some of the voters are thinking, but look, man, like I, I think in the first month of the season, Quinn Hughes has market corrected uh, Miro Heiskanen as being the young defenseman du jour that everyone will jump on and try to give the Norris to mm, <laughs> like, interesting. That's kind of how, that's kind of how the vibe is for me, at least in, in talking to people like, there's always going to be Makar and there's always going to be others that are in the mix. But, you know, it was, it was pretty clear that, you know, there was, a, there was a lane for one of these young guys to jump up and, and win their first Norris this year. Norris does love a, a first-time winner. And, um, you know, there was a lot of pieces before the season that said it was going to be Miro. But then you start to watch Quinn play and, and, and rack up points and rack up a plus-minus and, and really thrive in the system that, that Rick Tockett has them playing. And you say to yourself, okay, well, maybe it's Quinn's time. Hey, Wish, the Canucks go down to San Jose on Thursday, and at the risk of jinxing the Canucks as they go down to San Jose to face the winless Sharks, do you think the Sharks have a chance to be the worst team in NHL history? The Washington Capitals, 74-75, played 80 games, only won eight of them. So two things on that. I was talking to a player the other day uh, on a couple of different topics, including the gambling thing. And we were we were talking about San Jose, and he said to me, "I don't think they're going to win a game this year." Wow. <laughs> said, yeah, that's pretty, fair. That's, that's fair. That's I'm fair. like that's a pretty that's a pretty bold statement. I'm like in a game of uh, you know we, we you guys play on ice. There's bouncing pucks. You you know you never know what's going to happen. And he's just like they're they're really bad. And, and so like I agree. And and the other thing I was going to say is that I applaud them. You know we just got done talking about Calgary and. You know, there's these teams that are always in the mushy middle that are, you know, contending for a wild card, but absolutely not good enough to win a cup. And, and they're just trying to keep fans coming to the building and appease them, whatever. The, the Shark Tank is like half empty now. Like it, the, 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 the interest in that team is at an all-time low. And um, to be this bad and to know you have to be this bad and to, and to shape your roster in a way that, that will produce these results it's frankly impressive. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and that's with having re-signed Hurdle, which I'm sure he regrets now, um, and having a few other capable players in this roster. Like, they're going to be really bad. They're going to be historically bad, and it's the best thing that could happen to that organization. We're speaking to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Greg, speaking of bad NHL teams, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks lost 8-1 at Mullet Arena in Arizona last night. That's their fourth loss in five. They've been outscored 23-8 to eight over that stretch. So now that the Connor Bedard newness has worn off a little bit, are we now entering the, wow, Chicago's really bad part of the script? Well, I mean, it, it certainly is going to impact his heart trophy chances. I mean, you do have to be in the playoffs. Could to dampen win the them a little bit, yes. Yeah, it's going to dampen them a little bit. I'm sorry to everybody who has those futures in hand somewhere in their in their nightstand, uh, having bet on them earlier earlier this season. Uh, they're a bad hockey team, and they were going to be a bad hockey team. This is the classic thing that we saw with the Washington Capitals back uh, when they first drafted Alex Ovechkin, which is it is one thing to have a what you believe to be a generational talent on your roster who is going to have an immediate impact in this league from a statistical standpoint. It's another thing to somehow have a team that you 
stripped down to the you know bolts and foundations in order to draft this guy all of a sudden be good it's not going to happen anytime soon it's it's not a roster that's that that that's going to win in this league right now and again like that's the sacrifice that you make in order to get bedard and then you you know you wait two or three years and and now you've got yourself a team that's just going to be how it is in chicago um, which you mentioned the gambling thing earlier in talking to some players in and around the league. So that's obviously the Shane Pinto suspension in Ottawa. Um, when you were kind of sniffing in and around this story and in the aftermath, were there any big takeaways or any big reveals that you got in speaking with people? There are. Um, and I should, I should mention, we talk about it on the drop, uh, on the right. new episode that's out. If you go to the podcast platforms, you can find it there. We also have a really kind of uh, emotional interview with Teddy Bluger about uh, Adam Johnson on that interview too. That was uh, that was a, a, an interesting chat. Um, so like the thing, the, the couple things that, that, that I really took away from conversations I've had with players about the Pinto suspension. One is um, the, the lack of, of information that these guys have received from the league insofar as what's allowed, what's not allowed. Um, I don't think most of these guys even knew that proxy betting was illegal vis-a-vis the terms of service of their sports books. Uh, and so I think that's one level of education, but I had one player tell me like when the league talks to them about gambling and what to do and what not to do, it's very focused on don't bet on hockey, which mm-hmm. they know, like it's posted in dressing rooms. Like they know that they know that's basically like the end of your career. If you do that, it's the other stuff and, and maybe the stuff that a league's still trying to figure out itself in this brave new world that we're living in that they're confused on. And that really kind of like <laughs> shook them to their core when, when Pinto got 41 games. The other thing is in talking to some players and some agents in, in the last week is the surprise that the NHLPA didn't fight it more. Now <clears throat> there was some discussion like behind the scenes that the league wanted to come down harder with the hammer on Pinto and, and 41 games ended up being a compromise. And then also maybe like a gentleman's agreement not to appeal, but like, this is the first one of these that we've had. And whenever you have a benchmark or a precedent set, there's a desire for the NHLPA to fight back and try to get this thing as low as possible, right? Like if, if this is, you know, if this happens to another player, it's 41 games. <laughs> like that's a lot of games. That is half a season. And, um, and so there was a little bit of surprise that there wasn't more pushback, that there wasn't like maybe like an arbitrator hearing or something like that, and that they, they kind of allowed the league to set the, the minimum for what a suspension is going to be. And it's a, it's a massive suspension for, for, for Pinto. Uh, I do want to end with the aforementioned conversation you had with Canucks forward Teddy Bluger about his former teammate Adam Johnson, uh, teammate and friend. What was that conversation like, Greg? Well, one of the big uh, takeaways for me was kind of how he found out. And how he found out is, uh, you know, he and, and Adam Johnson were teammates on the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins in the minor leagues. And apparently those guys all are still on the text chain together. And so he found out through the initial discussion from his former teammates about you know, the news came about that that Adam had passed. And that's just like, you know, it's just, you know, how do you find out something oh. like that is, is always a, a, a kind of a devastating question to ask. And, and the, the answer was as devastating as to be expected. But, you know, he, I wanted, the reason I wanted him on the show is to kind of like 
put a spotlight on Adam, find out more about who he was, what he meant to his teammates, what he meant to his friends. You know, I think there's been so much discourse about the incident. And please, everybody, don't go on social media and talk about this stuff. It is, mm-hmm. an, it is the to- most toxic cesspool of discourse outside of maybe a U.S. presidential election I've ever come across. It's terrible. Um, but, I, but we wanted to have him on to talk about Adam and then obviously, you know, also kind of get his take on, on what's come of it as far as the, the on-ice debate about, you know, player protection. And, um, and that's, he had some interesting thoughts about that. I mean, like whether his opinion about net guards has changed because of it and, you know, whether he, I mean, he kind of believes that they're going to be mandatory at some point um, in the NHL, but it remains to be seen if the rest of the PA is going to acquiesce to what is a, um, you know, pretty significant equipment change for them. And they're, they're not usually reticent to allow that to happen. Uh, you can check out that episode of The Drop on wherever you get your podcasts. You can also view it on YouTube as well. Greg, thanks for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next week. Thanks, boys. Thank you. That's Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It is time now for the Everything Financial Report featuring Peter Shishecki. You may think getting a proper financial plan is a long, cumbersome, and difficult process, and that's why you don't have one. Well, you're wrong. It isn't. Give Peter Shashecki and his team at Everything Financial just one hour of your time, and they'll get you on the road to financial freedom with their Omni Express, or Omni Formula Express plan. Peter joins us now here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Peter. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well. It's always interesting to go from uh, sports talk to topics like old age security clawback. Although we were talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins and they are pretty old. So what is <laughs> what is old age security clawback? Well, I was going to say it's us getting Chris Tana for a bag of pucks, hopefully later in the season. But who knows? Um, old age security clawback is you hit 65 or older, you're collecting old age security, and suddenly you find that the government reaches in your back pocket and takes some or all of that old age security money back because they feel you earn too much money. So they're just going to take it away from you. So is that if you've got like a bunch of investments and they're kicking off dividends or interest? Is that typically why it happens? Yeah, RSPs, maybe your pension from work, uh, investments that are earning dividends, interest. So your total income, once it hits, it's just a, right now, it's just a hair under $87,000 of total taxable income. And then they start, there's a graduated scale, but they feel you're doing too well, so we're going to start taking some of your hard-earned old-age security money, which basically everybody gets because... Mm-hmm. Apparently, we pay taxes, and part part of paying taxes has been around for a lot longer than you and me and everyone else. But you lose some of that money. So how can you how can you avoid it? Can you? You can avoid it by doing, but you got to start planning for it when you're probably in your fifties, really, and start planning on proper tax planning and good tax deductions so that you're not making too much money. Uh, later on, because if you go through and do some simple financial calculations with your registered financial planner, you'll have a heads up that this is coming down the road and this is going to happen to you. So look at things to reduce that income, that taxable income, as much as you can, so you can keep some of that money from the government, some of that old age security, and it doesn't get clawed back. And there's good, sound ways to do it. How do RRSPs or your RIF 
fit into this. Oh, I, I love it. You know, you know, you know all those acronyms. It's amazing. But yeah, I'm planning for my riff. Everyone thinks you're <laughs> planning for your riff. Well, you got a ways to go yet. Yeah. But well, you could start well, at any time, and that's the thing. Get there. <laughs> you could. Yeah. No, no. Here's why. Here's why. Everyone thinks you wait till age 71, and then you do your riff. There's no rule that says you have to wait till 71. That's when you must start taking it. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of people who start taking those riffs when they retire at 60, maybe earlier. Because what happens is the longer you wait, theoretically, the more it's worth. And the government makes you take a bigger chunk. That's a CRA rule that's been around forever. So if you can start spreading out the riff and taking it early, think about this, you'll have less taxable income later because you're spending it earlier and therefore more likely to get your old age security or a player to be named later in a trade. Or more likely to be broke. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. There's a lot of cases you can spread the income out and maybe you save some of your TFSA till later instead of taking it because it's tax-free early. You spread out the tax and the non-taxable income over many years and that way you're going to get a bit of money from every source. And it's just, you know what? It takes you an hour to do some smart tax planning, and that's all you have to do is put some thought into it. And I was listening to you guys and Greg earlier. Probably a lot more thought than the Calgary Flames put into their lineup this year. Yeah. Which is maybe, what, 30 minutes they put into that, (laughs) I think? Maybe? I'm being generous. I think I know. Peter, good information, good stuff as always. Thank you very much for doing this. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Tuesday. You bet, guys. A couple more nights of World Series games to go, so at least we can watch something fun. Uh, that was Peter Shashecki from Everything Financial. You can visit him at everythingfinancial.com or call 1-888-424-4421 and get your complimentary introductory meeting booked today. 7 o'clock hour on the Halford & Bruff Show. Open segment coming up. We can get to the aforementioned World Series. How many times are you going to say aforementioned this morning? Three. And we're going to talk to Eric Francis at 7.30. Oh, the aforementioned Eric the Francis. Aforementioned, and the aforementioned Calgary Flames, who are an aforementioned tire fire. Uh, that's all coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. 8 o'clock hour, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, ahead of tonight's Canucks-Predators game, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. And a reminder, we're giving away tickets to see KISS on Wednesday, November 8th at Rogers Arena. Send in a What We Learned. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket emoji into your text if you want the tickets. Two more hours to go. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.